Cookie has left the offices of Derp. She is on her way to a matinee, having been a good little agent and getting her report done and all of her work. She is taking the afternoon off to take in a film. Cookie, as you walk down the streets of Boston and head toward the movie house, the sign comes into view and you see that the movie that is playing is called The Balloonatic, starring Buster Keaton. I am so excited to get a little bit of quiet time with you finally. I had a, a rough few days, didn't we? You certainly did, dear. Tell me about this film. What's it about? I don't know. I just saw the sign and thought, you know, how nice would it be to fly in one of those balloons? You must feel like a bird up there. You also know Cookie Buster Keaton. He's known for his slapstick comedy. Hmm, must be something a terrestrial being would think about. Doesn't really cross my mind that much. Do you fly? I get around. What's it like up there with the birds? Is it quiet or is it loud from all the wind? Depends on the day. Sometimes it can be quiet. The higher up you go, the more peaceful it is. But I don't really do that very often. I like to stay down here with you. I love that. I envy you. I, I would love to to fly like the birds. But this this hopefully this movie you can tell me if the film gets it correct or not. Certainly. So you're going to get your ticket and find a seat. Are you getting? You can get concessions if you wish. Balcony or main floor. Well, as it's our date and we're splurging and I only have to get one ticket, I think we'll sit up in the balcony. So you sit up in the balcony. It's uh, middle of the day, work week, not a lot of people there. So you can find a nice seat. Lights eventually will dim and the movie will begin. The customary silent movie, piano music. And you see Buster Keaton and the movie just to give you an idea of what happens in this movie. A young man has a series of encounters in an amusement area, much like Coney Island, until happening upon a group of men preparing a hot air balloon for launch. The young man assists the group by climbing atop the balloon to affix a pennant when the balloon mistakenly takes flight with no one aboard but the young man. The young man finally downs the balloon in a wilderness area where he encounters a young outdoors woman and proceeds to have a series of misadventures. So I'll let you guys now have your date. This movie is ridiculous. You would think that because you can fly. <laughs> I mean, why doesn't he just drain the air out of the balloon? Can he not do that? I mean, he climbed up to the top to fix the thing on there. Why not just poke a hole in it? Because it would pop. You've seen balloons that the clowns have when they let them go and they everywhere. That's what would happen to him. I think he could probably survive. He seems to be quite robust. He just can't seem to do anything right, however. I see. It is a little bit entertaining. The antics. I can't imagine what having to be 
afraid of something like that might be. Doesn't really occur to me, I guess. You're lucky because it's horrible to be afraid for your life or to be afraid that you're going to get hurt. You know, it doesn't always have to be that way. You don't have to be afraid. Oh, this work you've been doing is really dangerous. You ever think about maybe trying something else? You know good and well that I did something else before this, and I don't think I can go back to that, thanks to Prohibition. Maybe not exactly that, but something similar, something closer to the ground, something safer. But I feel like those guys, they need me. They're useless, I think, without me. I mean... Are you certain? Nothing against you, my dear, but I'm positive there's somebody else out there who could do the same job and much better them than you, right? Maybe. But I I like some of the people I work with. They're all fine. They're great. It has nothing to do with like or dislike. It's just about what's best for you. Something better, something safer, something to keep you away from... All of this dangerous work. I mean, you don't want to get hurt again, do you? No, of course not. But I'm lucky that I have you to watch out for me. You love me, right? Of course. Of course I do. But there might come a time when I can't or I fail. Or maybe you don't see something coming and... Well, that could be it. I just... I don't know what I would do if anything happened to you. I just, I really think it would be best if you tried to find something else, something safer for both of us. I believe in you, and if it weren't for this job, we would not be able to afford these wonderful seats. There just aren't a lot of opportunities for women such as myself. I don't care about the seats. I care about you. I get that. And I appreciate that. Then listen to me. (sighs) What would happen to Bruno? He's so helpless without without me. He'll be fine. He has the others, too. It's not just all on you. You're not the one who has to shoulder all of this. It can be somebody else. And who knows, someone else might be better at it than you. Not that there's anything wrong with the way that you do things. I'm just saying that, you know, if you had the choice, if if you could do it, wouldn't you rather live a quieter life, a safer life, one where we could just be together? Happy. Content. We still have to fund that life. And, you know, I might not be as smart and college-educated as Philip is, but I've been getting better at at my work. I, I've been really trying hard to prove that I deserve to be there. What if you can't, though? What if this is where you're at? What if you're peaking? 
in regards to this. I mean, you said it yourself. You don't have quite the same education. You don't have the same experience. Why not just try to find something better? You don't need to be rich. You just need to be happy. I mean, think about it. At least... I'll think about it, but I think this is the best that we can hope for. And it's made your and my relationship only stronger. If you say so. I guess I'm just going to have to move things along. Then you'll be stronger and you can watch my back better. Exactly. I'll be much stronger let's make those power rolls philip you excused yourself from the main office and the rest of the team saying that you had an appointment to keep Yes, quite. I did at that. The scene cuts to a ornate oak door, brass doorknob, very clearly done in an early, early 1900s style that not quite Art Deco. That's not going to come for another decade or so. But it is an ornate door that you would expect to see at a sanitarium or some kind of, of psychotherapist's office or just an old building. And a pale, weaselly hand presses itself to the doorknob and turns it. The door clicks open. And Philip steps outside onto the street of Boston, leaving his psychotherapist's building behind as he steps down the sidewalk, humming a jaunty British tune to himself as he heads down towards an estate auction that he read about in the newspaper. Sadly, he left the newspaper on his desk with the estate sale circled in a grease pen. Philip, those appointments are mandatory. Of course the appointments are mandatory. One's just fine. Everything was went swimmingly. I am the pinnacle of health. So headed to the estate auction. You're walking there? Or are you going to catch a cab or... Trolley car, public transit. Oh, a trolley car sounds jolly good. To get to this area, a good 20, 30 minutes, the speed it goes, the stops it makes. Anything happening, or are we just going right to the uh, auction? Oh, dear Lord, 30 minutes on public transit. I've made a terrible error. I would say that Philip is finding a seat upon the trolley, and he opens up his valise, and he is currently digging through it. There's the clink of silver upon silver as he jostles his ever-present tea set, and he is looking for his journal. And once he finds it and pulls it out, he has a pencil. He's writing a journal entry that is going to be transcribed onto a letter to send to Bertram, who is currently in Damascus. I'm sure you're going to get annoyed that the bumps and the people jostling, that penmanship isn't going to be beautiful. There's going to be some weird 
jarring movements that are going to affect it. But It is absolutely atrocious. <laughs> and yes, he is going to seem more and more annoyed. He's been annoyed initially with this day because he had to write that report and then he had to deal mm-hmm. with everybody at the office. And he told the psychotherapist, I believe that the, uh, the people at the office don't seem to like me much. I think it's because they know that I am the most educated and erudite man that is within the Boston department. And it seems that nobody really listens to me, you know? I do know. You eventually get to the stop that's at your auction. Your estate sale, pardon me. It is a beautiful brownstone home in Boston in a very affluent area. And you see the modest signage tastefully done. A very nice, conservative, respectable sign saying estate sale inside. And you'll see some other people going in to the uh, brownstone entrance. Do you want to do anything before you go in? You know, I think it would be wise to kind of case the area, see if there's any clowns or otherwise large-footed, suspicious people in the area. You know, they step out of paintings, and I should keep an eye out for any paintings they may have put on an easel outside in order to advertise this estate sale. Let's just do your spot hidden and see what we can see. Aside from the sign, you don't see anything. Like I said, this is being very tasteful. They're not bringing any stuff out onto the street. This isn't a, a curb sale. Make an appraisal roll. But what you do see, the people going in, some of them are like overly dressed, really putting on the nines. Hmm. Well, I am in a rather affluent part of town, so it would make sense that if one of their own were to pass away, then they would show their support to the the dear widow by buying the necessary pieces being sold at bargain bin prices. Or at least that's what I'll be doing. Make your way in, then? Oh, yes, absolutely. So as you walk up the steps and the few people that entered before you are greeted in the, the foyer, They are asked to just sign their names. Here's your paddle number. Step over here to the parlor. They'll be bringing out the lot shortly to begin the sale. As they leave and you're now next young man that's standing there doing this, again, dressed very nice suit. No jewelry on. He looks single, as you would notice that. On his hand, no wedding ring. He's very clean cut. But he's very young. You know this is industry. If there's an auctioneer or a antique dealer that's handling this, this man is probably low rung on the totem pole here, and he's just doing the meet and greet. He's a nice, clean cut young man with a nice smile, so that's why he's here. Ah, yes, of course. And when he sees you, he's like, Welcome, sir. May I take your bag? Ah, no, my good man, thank you. I shall carry it with me. I have several important tools in order to correctly appraise some of the items I hope to be bidding on this afternoon. I do thank you for your prompt attention, however. 
absolutely, sir, here, if you would just sign your name, you can take the corresponding paddle number on the line that you fill out. And again, you would just step over into the parlor, take a seat. You can see some of the items around, but we will just present each lot as it comes up. So you don't need to, to worry about walking around or getting lost in the, in the home. Ah, yes, capital. That is precisely what I shall do. And Philip will sign his name in standard grand fashion. Philip Wiesel, PhD, Oxford University. He'll see the, the, what you write after. Oh, kind of look a, a mildly impressed. And if you need anything, sir, please don't hesitate to come find me. My name is Matthew. Ah, thank you, Matthew, again, for your prompt attention. I shall be certain if I have any questions to immediately seek you out. Philip is going to do three things. First is, of course, as we have discussed, he is going to do the spot check for wall art. If he sees it, he knows what areas to avoid. Mm-hmm. Second, he is going to scan the list of names to see if there's anybody else here he might know. See this roll. You do not see any artwork in the area of the parlor that you can view. Oh, jolly good. Library use? So as Philip is working on signing his name, he stops halfway through, sets his valise down reaches inside and pulls out a jeweler's loop. And he affixes it to his right eye, and he's taking a closer look at the paper. It sounds incredibly gosh, and it is, but he's not making any indication of subtlety. He is looking closely at this. He's making sure the name is right, everything like that. Normally, it would be the magnifying glass, but no, he's brought out the loop because he knows he's going to be using it. You're seeing names, and one first name does stand out. There's Rupert, and back in your day when you were doing the circuit, you knew a Rupert. But the last name isn't the Rupert's last name. This says Simmons. Hmm. No, the Rupert I knew was Rupert Shackleford of the East London Shackleford's. Exactly. Mm, it might be like him to use an assumed name. I will have to keep my eye out. Philip will snap the loop out of his eye, pick up his bag, and he's not affronted, but he's affronted. And he will say to Matthew, thank you very much for your candor. I'm going to see what I can see now. As you make your way, Philip, to the parlor and go through the entranceway, make a luck roll. And I think this is hilarious because there was a third thing he was going to do, but then he sees Rupert's name. He's like, no, fuck it. I'm not asking about the guy who died. As you walk in, you'll see around the room they've set up little tables where some items are. You wouldn't have been able to see it as you looked in through the doorway, but up toward the front, you'll see on small easels, small portraits in oil. Oh, no. 
No, damn! They're tiny, though. They're only like five by seven. What could crawl out? What could crawl out? I don't know. I mean, there's possibly sentient figurines that love uh, reenacting famous British losses in the nation of Afghanistan. Spiders. Spiders could crawl out. Spiders crawl out from anywhere. Perhaps if you were to inspect them closer, it would reassure you. This is what Dr. Kruger said you needed to do. I will do no such thing. Dr. Kruger is a hack. Quack. And other A-C-K ending words that I cannot think about right now. Don't do your exercises then. Don't face your fear. Remain afraid of the tiny portraits. Can't really tell what they are because you won't get up and look at them. So where are you going to sit? How dare you calling me a coward? Fine. Fine. Bertram would look. Would you bring him into this? Fine. I will go and look at the pictures. Inspect them. The oil paintings. If they're oil paintings, I mean, they're going to be burned. I'll get Bruno to come back with a match and a can of gasoline. As you move forward and you are, like, intently, you are going to look, you are going to do this. Because you are really working the program here, I'm going to give you a plus two on this spot hidden. As you look over these small oil portraits with very ornate gilded frames around them, the frames almost dwarf the images they're framing. They look to be portraits of family members. An older man, very stern face, ruddy cheeks, big full mustache going into mutton chops, going into thick hair, all of it white. He has very piercing hazel, almost like a golden color eyes. And he is a very proud, proud looking man. And then there's another one of a son, and it looks like possibly a daughter. And you know that they're probably offspring because their eyes have that same piercing color. Maybe not as bright as his, but they do have it. Very proud, if not maybe a twinge of sadness in those portraits, whereas the older man looked incredibly proud. Even in his portrait, he is commanding respect. But the other thing you notice, and probably most importantly, they aren't moving and nothing's coming out. They're biding their time. Look at the man. He is so proud, so proud that he is biding his time. He is waiting for me to turn my back so he can come out of this picture. And these two, these two, they know. They know. They feel guilt and regret for what is about to happen to this auction. Damn, I should not have come here. As you look, a couple dressed to the nines, like I said, obscure your view. They're just going to walk right in front of you and start looking at the paintings as well. Philip steps back, secretly relieved that the line of sight has been broken, because when the man comes out of the painting now, he's going to attack the person closest to the frame, which is now not him. He will, however, size them up, because that was rude as hell. Oh. Well, I mean, you are not dressed as well. You did come straight from your government job. 
I am dressed to the sixes, not the nine. Obviously, they're more important than you. Uh, very well. Philip will look about to see what is being presented that has currently not been assigned to a lot. Everything has a lot. There's not many items being out right now. And Matthew had told you they'll bring things out as well. Must be a staging area elsewhere. But as you are looking around the room, you will see in the back of the room a heavy set woman dressed very nicely, dabbing her eyes with a hink. Perchance, is she wearing all black? She is indeed. By perchance, is she also wearing a black lace veil? It's not like covering her whole face. It's more like that little netting that just covers up to the bottom parts of the eyes. Very delicate looking, perched atop her head. But she's holding it together, but it's just every once in a while she'll bring that handkerchief up and just press it to her eyes and then bring it back down. You'll see some people will walk by her and they'll hold her hand and make a very like sad face and shake their head and then she'll nod and and then they'll excuse themselves and go sit down but make a spot hidden. You'll notice that those people when they leave her they go and they take their seat. But your eyes kind of stay on the woman, so you don't really see what's happening with them once they go and take a seat to you. They're like, ah, who cares? I'm still focused on this woman. Yes. There is an aroma in the air, and Philip has become accustomed to discovering it. And when he looks upon this woman dressed all in black with a black lace veil dabbing at her eyes, receiving guests who then sit down, he smells two things. He smells money, and he smells blood in the water, and he is a shark swimming with other sharks. Now he must absolutely talk to this widow of this person he knows nothing about and make nice to see if he can get a deal on at least some of these lots. Oh, dear. So, Philip, as you make your way toward the back of the room, since you moved up towards the front to look at the oil paintings. <laughs> Dr. Kruger is going to be so proud of you. You should tell him in your next session. I will be certain to. As you make your way towards the back, you are about halfway to the woman when the pounding of a gavel and the older man's voice calls out to the room, Attention! Everyone, please take your seats. We are about to begin. Damn and blast. Well, I shall have to break off this attempt for now. Find an open seat near the back. There'll be a seat second from the back that'll be towards the middle of the row. So you'll have to step past some people, or you can find an aisle seat third from the back. I think I will find the aisle seat because something in the back of Philip's lizard brain is saying, have a quick escape route in case somebody comes out of the painting. And that is an aisle seat every time. Only fools sit in the middle. That is where they die. As they begin, they bring the 
first lot up, it is a man's desk inkwell set. Roll your appraisal. They are billing it as something grand, but as you look at it, you're like, eh, it's simple brass. It's not that great. It's so American. It's upsetting. It's an eagle. Ugh. It's just a little, t- yeah. No, at least give me a coat of arms. Something, something with class. No, no, no. Take it away. It defends me. Disgusts me. It ends up selling. Some more lots come up, but another one pops up that interests you. Now, this one, this one might be good. It's an alabaster jar. It reminds you of your time in Egypt. Oh. Oh. If it's alabaster, that might be be from the time of Mark Antony and Cleopatra. That is very intriguing. They are showing it and talking about its provenance. Roll your appraisal. <gasps> the provenance lines up. This very well could be. But they aren't mentioning the date, but they are saying it was found in a tomb of a king. King's tomb. Hmm, that reminds me of the time that Bertram and I were driving that lorry full of artifacts from another tomb towards Egypt. Was it Luxor? No, it was Luxor. I do remember. Make a luck roll. Well, thankfully, as you were amusing, the bidding hasn't gotten too high up. Oh, bid, bid, bid. I must have it. You bid. It is up to $4 right now. I just got paid. I will bid $5. Okay, I'm going to make a roll. Let's see if your competitor is willing to do it or not. Do you remember that couple that walked in front of you? Well, the woman keeps looking back at you, giving you the stink eye and nudging the gentleman with her, and he flips that paddle up again, and he outbids you by 50 cents. The cheek of that man that must be Shackleford. I know it's him. You would do such a thing. Bid again. Six dollars. Oh. She nudges, but he looks at her and shakes his head. No. Amateur. She pouts and again gives you a lovely stink eye. Once again, because how dare you. Take the alabaster jar while she was going to put that on her makeup vanity and use it for a lovely storage. More items come up. Nothing else is really interesting to you. After a little while, the paintings start to get auctioned off. What do you want to do while they, while they grab that first one and bring it up? I am going to quietly and hurriedly excuse myself from the third row from the back and scuttle as far back away as I can, close to the entryway for when that man jumps out of the painting and starts stabbing people. As you step aside and you move over to the entranceway, you're kind of half in the room, half in the foyer now. You don't see Matthew anywhere. It's pretty quiet. Nobody's there. And are you paying attention to the auction? Are you just purposely looking away, but you can hear things? Oh, God. Purposely looking away, but can hear things. If I, if I don't look at it, it can't track me. 
So as you aren't really looking at what's happening in that room, but you hear things, you were all of a sudden bumped into. And as you try to, what happened, a flash of black fabric is just moving past you. And it goes to the far side of the foyer and starts running up the stairs. It appears to be that woman in black. (gasps) Now, I am faced with a conundrum. Mm -hmm. Because the last time I followed somebody upstairs, terrible, terrible things happened. However, there was blood in the water, and I can smell it. And I smell it running up the stairs, and as a refined English gentleman, I must positively, absolutely provide aid and comfort where necessary. And so I will follow her up the stairs to provide aid and comfort. So as you walk up the stairs, unimpeded, and you get to the very top landing, you'll hear the quiet, muffled sound of sobbing. And as you turn and look down the hallway, you'll see the woman sitting on a chaise lounge in the hall. And she is sitting there, because you know how it has, like, the reclined back? She's not, like, doesn't have her feet up, but she's kind of just got her head and, and upper body resting on that area. And the handkerchief is just covering her face. And, like I said, you hear the muffled sobs. Ah, yes. The chaise lounge. Well, Philip will give chaise. <laughs> or rather, he will walk slowly and stately to where the woman is crying and she's in the full Rita Hayworth pose, I'd I'd expect. And he will sit properly with his valise on his knees at the edge of the chaise lounge. And he will quietly say, I do realize that this must be very difficult for you. Husband has just passed and This is a very, very difficult time to see all of these treasures that he treasured, and I assume that you treasured, moving on at such a rate. And I am sorry. The woman just... just, It's just so difficult. I'm so sorry. I I don't mean to to be a bother, or I, I didn't mean to be a spectacle running out. Please, please go and... Enjoy the sale. Oh, no, I couldn't possibly. Not when you are so distraught. He says nothing about the paintings, the terrible paintings. Uh, No, and nobody noticed you leaving, except for I, so you needn't worry about any impropriety. I simply had to see if you were all right. Kind person. Thank you. A a gentleman. Obviously. Just seeing all the items poor Oscar and I'm never going to see him again and I just I I had to get I just I had to remove all the reminders of him from the home how could I carry on here where everywhere I looked I would just be reminded of my poor Oscar yes of course poor Oscar indeed have you perhaps considered Selling the estate and moving to a place where there would be no reminders of him. So we're 
warm and refreshing or perhaps a nice estate in uh, New York City. I know that it is very nice this time of year. I haven't even thought about leaving. I've just been in Boston my, my whole life. And we have deep roots here. Our family, Oscar's family, have been here for generations. I I don't know if I if I could. I just I just want this day to be over with, and I just want the items to be removed. I just it's just so hard, and and then they won't even they they said they couldn't even sell all of the items. I, I just don't know what to do about those other things. It's just so much to think about, and. Oh, excuse me. I'm just, I'm just going on and on. I forgive, forgive an old woman. Oh, no apologies are necessary. Of course, they could not sell everything, but I have it on good authority that someone that I know, who might be me, would be very interested to see these items and take them away, so you would not suffer from the reminders of poor, dearly departed Oscar. Oh, I, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't impose upon you. I, mm. my dear, it is no imposition at all. I am here, of course, because there was an estate sale, and I know that when a, a, a person of refinement passes, that there are going to be many items, artifacts, pieces of artwork, keepsakes, and reminders that simply must find other homes. And if there are more items that you desperately want to find another home, well, I am the very person who will take them away. It is good for you, because you no longer have to deal with them. You will receive a tidy sum in recompense. And I will have helped out a, a darling widow in her time of need. If you want to take a look, Bartholomew said that they were worthless, but they had to be worth something. Oscar wouldn't have secured them so so well, if they were just nothing, but Bartholomew assured me that they were just trivial at best. But, I mean, would you mind? I would not mind in the least. There's that blood in the water again. She'll pat her nose, wipe the eyes, and she'll stand up and adjust her dress and her hat with a, a smile and trying to be the good hostess. She goes, well. If you would follow me to his room. Absolutely. And she'll lead you down the hallway to a big set of double doors. And it is the master's bedroom. As she opens it, there's a huge canopy four-postered bed with the long curtains on the side and rich wood. And there's the fireplace, there's desk. And she walks through the room to another door and opens it up. And it appears to be a closet. She'll say, it's in there if you wouldn't mind dragging it out. Oh, of course. Of course. And of course, Philip is not the strongest man. But he will gingerly set his valise down and enter the closet slash wardrobe to find whatever it is that she wants to get rid of. At the very least, he might be able to make a couple bucks off of it, selling it to somebody on the 
street side thinking that they're going to buy this priceless relic from Alexandria. So as you step into the closet, it goes far back. It's darker in there, but your foot clunks on something large and solid. Oh, this must be it. I'm going to try and drag this back out. All right, let's just do that. As you lift it and try to to start dragging it, it's, it's a solid wood chest. It's heavy? I think it's actually stuck to the floor. It's not heavy, it's just he can't get a good purchase on it to pick it up. Maybe not pull it. Maybe if you can kind of get behind it, you can push it. Brace your back against the wall and push with your legs. You know, disembodied voice, that is a fantastic idea. I should have thought of it myself. It's inspiration. It is inspiration. So Philip will try and get between the the wall and the chest and push with his legs. All right. So as you kind of maneuver and do that, it starts to slide and slowly go out. So maybe it was kind of stuck in that area. Maybe it's a sign that it had been there for years and years. Who knows? Indeed. But you start to move it, and it pushes out, and you've kind of got it to where it's half out of the closet. So you can go around the front and pull, and you can get it mostly out enough that it's in the light, and you can open it and see what's inside. Yes, that will do nicely, I think. Okay. Do you want to look at it at all before opening, or are we just opening, or...? Yes, I will appraise the status of the chest, see its construction, if there's any filigree, any scrimshaw or other accentuating parts of it. Let's do... I always want to do appraisal. This is a finely crafted chest. This is looks to be hand-hewn wood slats that have been put together to form perfect seamless panels on the side the top of the chest as well the iron work appears to also be handcrafted and the main latch that no longer has a, a lock on it but the main latch has a eye of Horus put into it, into that iron. Oh, yes, this is very interesting. The chest itself is of value, but it is so heavy. Perhaps that is why Bartholomew said, nah. Yes, uh, Bartholomew just doesn't want to pick it up and drag it downstairs. Well, his loss is my gain. Philip will open the chest to see what's inside. So as you open the chest, you'll see that the wood pieces are a good, like, three inches thick. That has to account for the bulk of the weight. The inside also is much care as the outside, the staining, the ironwork, everything. You automatically notice a solid black fabric is lying on the top. Under it, there's a couple things peeking out. 
but you can't really make much out until you remove the, the top thing, which I assume, Philip, you will. Philip looks at this this black cloth and thinks to himself, well, it seems that somebody had a separate set of sheets for a mistress, perhaps. It is a rather gauche to do this in the master bedroom rather than finding one of the myriad of other rooms within this estate, but who am I to judge? I shall simply move this to the side with some care because there's no telling where it's been, and we will see what is underneath. As you pick up the fabric, you feel it in... It's a high-quality wool. Oh. And as you pick it up and hold it up, you'll see it is a hooded cloak. A hooded cloak. Mm-hmm. A disembodied voice. I don't know if I like hooded cloaks in my line of work. I mean, it could be a giant painting you found and not this chest. <sighs> you know, yes, I think I will count my blessings and put aside the very high-quality hooded cloak, which has no danger attached to it whatsoever, and look deep within the chest to see what else I am likely going to buy. The next item that you notice as you remove that is a mask that would cover the entire face, almost like maybe something you'd wear to like a masquerade ball or something. It covers the whole face, and it's been to Egypt, you know the Egyptian paintings where, you know, it has the big eyes, the, the, the big white eyes with the big round pupils and the eyebrows, and it's just very Egyptian face looking? Yes, quite. It is that. Very ornate. Very well done. It's not a little creepy. I am affronted that this gentleman knew Egyptian costume parties with hooded cloaks, and do not deign to tell me. However, I am going to tamp the rising of my gorge, set the full mask aside, which is never used in a masquerade party. That is sent to the half mask to cover the eyes, but I digress. What else is in this lovely chest that is other than the growing sense of horror? There is a velvet box. As you pick that up and open it, because I assume you will, Oh, yes, quite. There is a brooch inside, a large brooch. Roll your praise on this one. As you look at this one, this is that same Eye of Horus. But this one is done in precious stones. Out comes the jeweler's loop. Mm-hmm. The black portions of it, which is the majority, is going to be onyx or maybe an obsidian. Uh-huh. The white part will look like pearl. All right. It is very large. The one part that comes straight down and the other part that goes out and does the little curly, they are freestanding, but the eye part and like the eyelid and the eyebrow, that is all one big piece. So the eyelid part and the whites of the eye would be the pearl. The rest of it would all be the onyx or obsidian. Depends. You you know, it's a jeweler's loop. You would need to really look at it much closer in brighter light to know what's what. The whole thing is trimmed in gold. That's actually what holds all of this together. The back of it's gold. The edges are gold. You will also notice that the 
part that comes down and goes in the curly cue has four stones in it. Clear. They look like they could be diamonds. Hmm. Yes, this is trash costume jewelry. I'm sure of it. We are going to gently set that aside. See what else is in here. At that, you'll hear the woman kind of sniffle again. She'll say, well, as I said, Bartholomew said that none of this was worth anything, and I feel so bad. I I thought maybe, well, maybe had I not gotten rid of the books that were in the chest, but... And she'll kind of trail off. Uh, did you say there were books in the chest as well? Yes, there were several books in, in, well, I, I pulled them out and, and looked at them when I found the chest in the back of the closet here and, and I, I couldn't read the writing, but just, I don't know, something about them just seemed, I'm a foolish old woman, I know, but I just seemed unnerved by them. And she'll point to the fireplace, so I burned them. <laughs> I see. And he is going to look at the fireplace. What is left? Are you really going to look, look? Inspect, inspect? Yes. Let's see. Luck roll or spot hidden? You'd be lucky to find anything. It seems that yes, I am. Apparently, good help is hard to find. Nobody's cleaned this fireplace out. Since she did burn them, but you will find a portion of a page. And you'll see some of the words written on it in a language you don't know. Is Akkadian Middle Eastern? Akkadian is the proto-tongue of Sumerian. So that would be Cradle of Civilization area. So we're talking Middle East, North Africa. Maybe it has some some earmarks that kind of are similar, but you don't know this language. You know it's from that area. There's something about it. It's kind of similar, but you don't know it. His curiosity is regrettably piqued. Philip is going to fish that page out of the fireplace and take a look at it, and then he will turn to the widow. And he will say, well, it is regrettable that they were burned, understandable as it was, but I would have very much liked to see them in in pairing with this lovely chest. I do understand why your Bartholomew says that it's not worth anything. It is incredibly heavy, and it's likely he didn't want to move it. However, I am quite taken with the construction, and I would love to take it off your hands. So you are not fronted with a reminder of the deal it departed. Oh. What do you say to twenty dollars? Twenty dollars for the the chest and and the like everything, even the knife. Because Bartholomew said that he just really didn't want anything to do with the knife. Uh, yes, I am willing to take the entire lot. I don't normally have anything for for knives, but. 
I am certain that I would much rather remove these reminders of your daily departed and take this all away forthwith. Oh god, knife. Oh god, knife. Oh god, knife. Where's the knife? You haven't gone through the rest of the box. She mentioned books and you got distracted with jangly keys in the I form did. of paper. I'm going to go back through and look through the rest of the box. You'll see some other little knick-knack things. There'll be a cane with like a pyramid sitting on top of where like the handle is. Oh man, I'm using that from now on. But you'll see something else that is wrapped in black leather. It's got strings that kind of tie it to keep it closed up. You can pull that out and unwrap it if you'd like. I would like to do so, disembodied voice. I have come too far not to walk away now. So as you, Philip, unwrap that black leather and expose the contents within, it is indeed a knife. It is a knife that has the, the very smooth curves going back and forth in a serpentine motion, ending in a very sharp point. The sides of this knife are very sharp as well. That serpentine motion, as you follow it back up to the hilt, you'll see that it's supposed to look as if it is the tongue of a horned creature with its mouth open. Its eyes are wild looking. The entire hilt is basically the head of this beast. The tongue coming out is the blade. The end of the hilt has horns, as I said, so if you were to hold it under the knife edge side of your palm, two protruding horns would be coming down. If you were to not use the bladed end and you were to hit somebody with that end, it surely would cause just as much pain. The metal is... I, you don't have any metallurgy. You just see it's a, a blade. Who knows? It could be iron. It could be steel. It could be something completely different material. It is shiny. It is well-balanced. It is light. It is something to research in a library at a further date. Absolutely. Yes, disembodied voice. I think I will put this knife back away, put it back in the chest. If there's nothing else, I'll replace everything in the chest, including that piece of paper, which I shall research later. Close it and smile at the widow. Roll me your occult, because I'm sure many things are swimming through your head right now. Philip, given your time as a derp agent, and giving the contents of this chest, and you smile at this widow, what are you thinking of her poor, dearly departed Oscar? Poor, dearly departed Oscar, as well as, assumedly, a good 60% of the auction attendees downstairs, are members of an Egyptian cult. The Eye of Horus, the tongue and the horns, the dark cloaks, the very stylized brooch. Bertram and I, actually, found some whispers of a cult like this, cult of Thoth, down near Alexandria, where I don't believe we ever came across them ourselves, but I did hear whispers of them, and there was very similar to the thuggy cults in India. As you smile at this widow and she looks at you and 
You've offered her 20 and you say you'll take everything. This so very kind of you. I just... Are you sure 20? It just, it would be just... I don't want to be robbing you. I simply must insist you are recently bereaved. And I do not want to seem like a vulture, as some of those downstairs may seem. I simply want to ensure that this chest and its contents need not grace your eyesight uh, anymore. And, quite frankly, the chest is wonderful, and I have a perfect place for it within my quarters. So, yes, I am paying $20 simply for this chest. Everything in it is simply to ensure that you need not see it again. Again, she just looks at you and just shakes her head back and forth, her hand on her chest. Just, oh, you're just so kind. And she'll just reach out and pull you in for a hug. <laughs> taking your, your face and just mashing it into her, her chest. Just so happy. This is happening entirely too often. But she is bereaved. I must endure. It is the English way. She will. Release her hold and give you a kiss on the cheek. Glorious. Simply smashing. And then she'll look at the chest and say, well, are you able to take it now or do you have to come back? Because she kind of looks you up and down a bit and she realizes there's no way you're going to get this out of here. If you would have somebody ring me a cab... And assist me in bringing this downstairs. Yes, I will leave with it immediately. As soon as I pay for the alabaster vase that I have purchased. Oh, okay. I will have somebody bring a a cab around to come down and get you at uh, the end of the sale. And I'm sure maybe you can get that nice young man, Matthew, to assist you in bringing it down the stairs. Oh, yes, capital. I do remember young Matthew. He is just the strapping lad that I require. And then she'll kind of realize, oh, I should probably get back down there to the sale. They'll be wondering where we went off to, and I would I would hate for rumors to get started. Oh, yes, of course. Rumors are quite dreadful. I'll leave you to put everything back inside the chest, and I'll see you downstairs, and she'll leave the room. Uh, so. Philip will start putting the stuff back into the chest. And after a five count, as he hears the footsteps going further down the hallway, he is going to case this room. There have got to be other books here. Oh, let's do library first. We are seeing there are just regular books here. Nothing like what you're looking for. Let's do a spot hidden. We are not seeing anything out of place in the room. Nothing looks odd. You're Like I said, you're looking in the room. Let's do an occult roll. You do see a lot of Egyptian motif items, but they just seem to be more of the, I went to Egypt and brought back. Not the same kind of creepy vibe that you get from the stuff in the chest. This is different stuff. Philip will take a moment, close his eyes, take a deep breath, take a quick check to see if there's any paintings looking at him. That's probably why he's he's 
too nervous. He's too harried. And he's going to follow that feeling because the creepy feeling in the books and in the chest, it leaves something behind. You can follow it almost as if it's, it's a scent trail. And where there's one piece of occult material, there are others. So are we going to reinspect the chest? Yes. Emptying it of all its contents and inspecting the chest. Yes. Roll that spot hidden. Is there an oil lamp in here or any type of movable light source? Yeah, there'll be a lamp. Let's light that lamp and look again. The oil lamp, you light it, you took the glass cover off and, and kind of put the flame in, and you, you did scorch a bit of the inside of the the chest. Nothing too damaging, but you have ruined the artistic nature of the whole thing. A damn. Oh, damn. Damn and blast. Make a dex check? Not only that, you drop the lamp. Ah! I've got to put the flame out, 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 out. And I will use the cultist robe to smother the flame. You smother the flame and you use it to kind of pick up the glass pieces. And as you do, you'll notice that there was a lot of oil in that lamp. But there's not a lot of oil in the bottom of the chest. A false bottom. Intriguing. Well, let's see if we can pry that up, shall we? Okay. I mean, you can use the cane, maybe, or... Yes, I have a perfectly good cane here. Or there's a desk. You can maybe find a letter opener. Well, I... Yes, yes, we'll search the desk. We shall not use the sacrificial dagger in order to pry up a false bottom. That would be... That would be insane. I mean, you know. (laughs) I mean, do whatever you wish. What do you want to do? Well, disembodied voice, I do want to get that false bottom out of this chest. Now, if there's not a... No, if I use a letter opener, they'll suspect something. I'm, I'm going to have to use a sacrificial dagger, unless there is... I don't think that there's a hole large enough to insert the cane, so to speak. So we shall use the dagger for not its intended purpose. Thank goodness. You kind of wedge it along the edges, trying to find a spot to lift up this false bottom and there's got to be a better way to open this you just haven't found it but you are able to use that knife to find a way to pry it up and that false bottom does indeed come up it is only about maybe a half an inch thick the oil went through it so it's a different kind of wood it's much more porous oh as you lift it up, you will see that there is a book in the bottom. We must rescue this tome before the lamp oil gets to it. Enough books have been burned in this room already. Oh, the lamp oil's on it. Ah! Well, you fumble. Ah, it's as if Charlotte is over my shoulder with a picture of it right now. We will rescue the book, we will gently dab it dry, and we will take a quick look inside to see what I have bought. Oh, we always love to read books. Yes, books are wonderful. So, as you open it up, it is the same kind of writing that was on that piece of paper. You'll also start to see drawings in it as you 
thumb through it. And is the knife still kind of in your hand? Oh, yes. And as you read one of the drawings, as you flip through, you'll see this same knife drawn in this book. Can you make a sanity check? You don't know the language, but you have a pretty good idea of what those pages that have that drawing there, possibly what it's trying to talk about. You could only imagine what it's saying about the knife. Its own kind of provenance. Yes, as these knives are wont to provide. Can you roll me a d3? For you, it's nothing. Just a bad day at an auction. Evidently, yes. But for you to really know this language, you will have to study this language in order to figure it out. It's going to do a lot of library research. But if you were to do it, you would then be able to add this language to your sheet. Oh, yes, absolutely. I shall use my free time when I am not working for Deb in order to find the history of this cult and this ancient language. It reminds me of something, but I do not recall what. Bertram might know. I'll ring Bertram, perhaps, and and he'll be able to tell me. Yes, I believe he's in. I mean, if he doesn't know it, he'll know somebody. Yes, of course. Uh, as long as yeah, I know he doesn't know Doyle. Doyle doesn't know anybody. Doyle doesn't know this language. But Bertram, Bertram will know. Yes, I'm going to put this book within my valis. I will replace everything inside the chest. Replace the false bottom. Put everything in nice and neat, prim and proper, as an Englishman should. Close the chest and wait for young Matthew. And if he's not there in 30 seconds, I will go find him. You will have to go find him because the sale is still going on. But you do see him sipping on coffee in the dining area. Maybe you can ask him to come and assist you. You're leaving early. Can he ring up the alabaster? Yes. I will approach him in the kitchen area, wherever he may be sitting. I wasn't paying attention. Disembodied voice. I have a book and a dagger. There's there's mystery afoot. Uh, young Matthew, I, I have spoken with the, the poor bereaved widow, and I have made a personal purchase of an item that is not within the auction books, and I would like to leave early in order to remove it from her sight and so she's not reminded of her dearly departed husband. Could you ring me out for the alabaster vase that I have won and assist me with moving this downstairs and helping me load it into the cab that is being called for me at this very moment? Oh, a personal Capital, thank you very much. It's just upstairs right here. Come, please follow me. And he will assist you. It takes a lot of effort, but you guys do clunk, clunk, clunk it down the stairs. Out to a cab. Settles you up for the jar, the alabaster jar. Philip, where are you taking this cab? To the home or to the office? It is now late afternoon. It's after four. We are going to the home. Okay. So you're going to take it home? Yes. And you'll pay for the cab, and you'll pay a little extra to see if this cabbie will help you get it in? Oh, yes. Okay. All right. You now have this chest with all of these items in your abode. And so what Philip will do is first he will go through his personal library to find anything associating the Eye of Horus this and the Dagger. 
and of course the book. If he can't find it there, he will use the Derp Archives clandestine style. And he will slyly check out a book here and there and take it home, but he's leaving it in his apartment. In fact, he may try to hire a workman to put a little false wall in behind a bookcase where he can keep the stuff out of prying eyes of anybody who might be looking in. Nobody in pictures, of course. There's no pictures in my home. There's, they don't need to be coming out of the, the walls to stare at me, no. But if anybody's looking through the window, through the door, if anybody invites themselves in, I do not want them to find this disembodied voice. Do you, want, you understand me. Of course you understand me. That's the, understand your paranoid nature perfectly, sir. Thank you very much. You know, the doctor has talked to me about this. However, I believe I am getting better. Anyway, I will ring Bertram. He will know everything about this. I'm sure of it. So as you stand in your home and you are making these plans, you will now have a course set in your off time from derp of what you are going to be doing. It is Christmas morning, and we are on the beautiful Jersey Shore. We are in the home of Bruno. After a lovely Christmas Eve meal, he decides to get up early to give Cookie his Christmas present. You see Bruno walking from his room. He's snuck down early. It's still dark out. He's got a little thermos of coffee that he's made up he's got two cups and he's got a second thermos all in one bag and in his other hand he's carrying a candle on a little round candle stick he walks down the hall to while not quite the guest room one of the unused bedrooms and just gives a little on the door that cookie is sleeping in And I'm a very, very sound sleeper, so I wouldn't hear your light, gentle knock. He'll give it a minute or so, listen at the door to see if he hears anything, and then give it a little bit more of a... And a snort, and wake up. My eyes still very, very fogged with sleep. Confused because I'm in a different place, not at home. Yeah, just roll over and wrap the blanket back around me. Gonna slowly and quietly turn the handle on the door and push it open before slinking into the bedroom. Ash will whisper in Cookie's ear, Wake up, there's someone in here. Wake up. Wake up! And with that, I will sit straight up because there's danger. So now I'm instantly awake and in the dark, like I see Bruno. What time is it? He motions with his one hand to keep quiet. He's still wearing what is mostly night clothes. He's thrown over a robe. 
he's got a second robe over his shoulder and he's holding the candle. It's like, you're, you're going to wake everybody up. Come on. I got a, I got something I want to show you. Well, do I have time to get dressed and do I, do I smell coffee? Yeah. 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 I, I knew better than to come at this hour and he'll shake his arm. That's got a bag. You'll hear some clinging together. Change the candle off to his left hand and grab the rope from over his shoulder to hand to you. My hero. All right. Well, let's let's go. I I guess. He leads you quietly and closely through the house because he doesn't want to wake anybody else up. His brother and sister are still asleep. Takes you down the front steps and out onto the street and starts walking towards the beach. Where are we going? Um, wh- where where are we going? It's Christmas. I uh, wanted to get you a little something. Just come on, you'll see. It better not be a pony. I don't need another one. I can't deal with any animals right now. The only ponies around here are the ones on the carousel on the boardwalk. Yeah, I, I'd like to check that out before we leave. Of course, we got uh, we got all kinds of time. And he's leading you down towards the boardwalk, where there's going to be some benches set up, looking out over the beach and off over the water. Off to one side is the boardwalk with the carousel and some of the other rides of the era. Over on the rights where they set up a bunch of their games and little food carts and stuff, some stores behind us. And I sit down on the bench and I take out the two cups and I hand you one. I take out the thermos of coffee and I put it down in between us and I take out the other thermos, give it a little shake and a little smile. I put that down right next to us. I just sit, lean back and look out over the water. When it became clear that they were approaching the boardwalk. I would have been ecstatic. I cannot believe it's happening. This is actually Christmas and I'm at the ocean. I, I, I'm so excited. Bruno, I, I don't know what to say. Thank you so much. It's, it's nothing. You, uh, You've been a uh, a good friend over the past couple of years, and you know recently we uh, well, we went through a little thing. Yeah, but your family, you know, I everyone here is just so wonderful, and you're so lucky to have such such a great family, and I'm so lucky to have you to share this with me. I I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Do you think Do you think we can see the water? Just uh, just give it a little bit, and you'll see. He'll open the one thermos, which has got coffee in it, and start pouring that out. It's not that great. I, I could, could have brought, brought you to the ocean. ocean. Um, but we we've never been. Uh, I've never been to the ocean before. I didn't know it was that important to you. He'll put his coffee cup back on the little bench beside him. We uh we can come back later when it's nice and light out. Uh, the water might be a little too cold to go swimming though. <laughs> well, the air's freezing. 
I say as I am just hugging my cup of coffee and sipping it and just patiently, patiently waiting to see those first couple rays of the sun. Yeah, I got something for that too. And he takes the other thermos, opens that up, and it gets a little whiff of alcohol comes off of it. And I just hand over my coffee cup for a little spiked breakfast juice. He'll give you a little hit. And then wait a second to see if you want a bigger hit. So I take a sip of my cup. It's just perfect. I don't want to ruin this by drinking too much. Just enough to get you warm. Do you really think that's a good idea? Drinking out alone with this guy. There's nobody around. If something were to happen, it could be bad. Bruno, you're one of my best friends, and I... I just want you to know that I trust you, and I'm glad that you have my back. Yeah, of course. We, uh, well, maybe not Philip, but we all have each other's back. Yeah, but most most people, I don't think, uh, would do something like this um, for me, and I just really appreciate it. I would do it for you. We've never... We've never been to the beach before. I didn't know it was that important. We can uh, can come back. It's way different during the summer. There are tourists everywhere. You have to fight and struggle to get a spot on the beach. And he'll start going on for several moments talking about the boardwalk and how great it is in the summer. Don't forget about the creatures. Remember them. If you're paying enough attention, Bruno, you would see Cookie just kind of holding the mug close to her face and kind of muttering quietly. Yeah, I remember. I know you saved me, but, I mean, there's none here, right? Right now. You keep me safe. It's not not about that. I do my best, but it's a two-way street, and you haven't been making it easy. I, 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 I'm safe. Bruno's my best friend. He would keep me safe. If, if you, you say, say so. so. Of course, of course I, I say, say so. so. Thank you so much, Bruno, for this coffee. And this the sunrise is just beautiful. I really, really love it. See, there's nothing funny happening here. Uh, nah, nah, I wasn't trying nothing funny. I don't know. He gets red in the face and just starts stammering over himself. It's, uh, it wasn't, uh, it didn't mean it like with the, the family and the, my mom and, well, her passing and it's just the kids, you know. Oh, here he goes. It's okay, Bruno. I, 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 you know I'm there for you. I didn't have much of a family. And yours is just... They all love each other. And the way they yell and give each other a hard time 
but then they are laughing. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, I think that's because, well, because you was here. I don't think if we had Christmas with just, you know, us, there wouldn't have been a distraction is not the right word, but it, it wouldn't have been the same. I get that. It's probably going to be hard for all of you for a while. If all those stories that your uncle was telling me about your mom are true, that woman lived a crazy life. I put his cup down, lean forward, put his elbows on his thighs and just look out. Little, little misty eyed. Cookie would just take her hand and just rub on his back and just sit quietly with him until he was better again. Whenever he leans out and he starts rubbing his back, Ash will just... If he had a head, he would be shaking it and say, wow, it's like comforting a dog that's lost its bone. Why don't you get behind his ears? I hear they like that. Uh, I, I... I, I'm sorry, and she just takes her hand back and looks at it like it was burnt because she's never been spoken to like that by her her friend Ash. You should be. Um, Bruno, uh, do do you have a cigarette on you? Uh, he'll patted his pockets stand up and reach in the pockets of his pajamas like nah I uh I don't I uh we can go back to the house and get one if you want given as now the sun has risen in the horizon is now just picturesque um yeah let's let's do that uh but would it be okay if we came back I I heard there were like freaks on the boardwalk well uh yeah a little bit I gotta warn you though we've seen worse why wait there's one sitting right in front of you he starts picking up the cups putting the lids back on the thermoses putting things back in his bag as he kind of gets ready for the return trip and puts his hand out to help you up and I graciously take it and just give him the biggest bear hug that she can possibly muster with her tiny little size. And just, this is the best present I could have asked for. Thank you so, so much, Bruno. He takes his hand that's not covered on the stuff and puts his big meaty mitt right on your back and pulls you into it. And it's like, no, uh, thank you. And quickly turns and starts heading home and I just follow along just kind of happy and not trying to let anything get me down you know I never quite realized how fond of apes you were you know I think there's a zoo in town maybe we should see about visiting that after we hit up the boardwalk again and that's just like probably the worst thing that she could have been told at that moment. And I just 
start to cry just right there in the middle of the street. Just quiet tears of someone who's just been punched in the gut. That someone that is walking with the sun at our backs and the early wee hours can't quite see. And I just follow along all the way back to the house. Just sad and snuffling myself back together because I don't want anybody to see. Sign his name in standard grand fashion. Philip Wiesel, PhD, Oxford University. Which is, I mean, there one part in three is a lie. We'll say maybe maybe two parts <laughs> in three. We we're not sure. Two truths, one lie. We don't know which one it is. You know, uh, by volume, <laughs> it's very honest. And then they'll excuse themselves and go sit down, but make a spot hidden. I love spot hidden. I know because I love that you don't see anything. It's true. Because how dare you? Take the alabaster jar. Well, she was going to put that on her makeup vanity and use it for a lovely storage. If anyone knows anything of vanity, it is Philip Wiesel, Ph.D. Esquire. I don't know where the Esquire came from, but he added it somewhere (laughs) between the foyer and sitting down. (laughs) What will he be at the end? As you look at this one, this is that same Eye of Horus. But this one is done in precious stones. Out comes the jeweler's loop. Mm-hmm. You will see. One second. Let me get you a good idea. It's going to be. Trouble. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be another picture of Abner? Because I feel like that's the no. kind of trouble I'm about to get into. Abner's wonderful. You'd be lucky if this was Abner. <laughs> yes. On that, we agree. Do you want to pitch the time in the setting, or do you want me to just do so it like it's? I will do it, sir. I will do it, sir. So it for is consistency Christmas. in internal monologuing and cutting you off. Thank you. I should just jam it. Could you be just jam it? Do you want to just jam it? Do you no, want to just no, do? I'll no. just leave. No, it's you. You got this. Okay. So Cookie would just take her hand and just rub on his back and just sit quietly with him. Until he was better again. I would like a lot of evil here. I don't know what to say. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> insult my manhood. I insult know. Call me a He's bitch. Cry, baby. Why is she touching him? Do you want him? Do you prefer him? Because I can leave. I can go away. You'll never have to hear me again. Okay. Yeah. yeah I so got you. mean right yes. now. I know. I know. Oh, yeah. I know. I know. I know. I know. Yeah, no, I'm I'm channeling bad boyfriend. I know, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm okay. sorry. Um. Channel bad boyfriend. And I just follow along all the way back to the house. Just sad and snuffling myself back together because I don't want anybody to see. You monster.
I'm sorry. <laughs> that was tough because y'all's y'all's bit was very heartwarming, and I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Good. Oh. Good. Oz here, just chiming in at the end to say thanks for continuing to support us with your ears, bumping us by word of mouth, and even with Patreon donations, which is pretty awesome. If you aren't on our Discord, feel free to come on by and get a without-a-net welcome. If you are, you know how we do. We couldn't continue to do this without your support and feedback, so if you do have feedback, this is me personally begging you to let us know. We know we can always do better, and we love to know when we're doing well. Anyway, a couple of disclaimers. The music you heard in the intro and the outro was from the Great Old Ones and Other Beings album by Graham Plowman. You can find that on YouTube. It is some excellent Call of Cthulhu music. Call of Cthulhu 7th edition is produced by Chaosium Inc. Without a net podcast has no affiliation with Chaosium Inc. We just think 7th edition is pretty bomb and we're going to go ahead and try it out. We get no kickbacks from Chaosium, nor do we expect any, although that may change in the future, but probably not. I hope you all had a wonderful time listening to this, and we will see you next week.